A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. A different drummer. And now, coming to you from dead center on your dial, welcome to Risk Parity Radio, where we explore alternatives in asset allocations for the do-it-yourself investor. Broadcasting to you now from the comfort of his easy chair, here is your host, Frank Vasquez. Thank you, Mary, and welcome to Risk Parity Radio. If you have just stumbled in here, you will find that this podcast is kind of like a dive bar of personal finance and do-it-yourself investing. Expect the unexpected. It's a relatively small place. It's just me and Mary in here. And we only have a few mismatched bar stools and some easy chairs. We have no sponsors, we have no guests, and we have no expansion plans. I don't think I'd like another job. What we do have is a little free library of updated and unconflicted information for do-it-yourself investors. Now, who's up for a trip to the library tomorrow? So please enjoy our mostly cold beer served in cans and our coffee served in old chipped and cracked mugs, along with what our little free library has to offer. <laughs> but now onward, episode 320. Today on Risk Parity Radio, it's time for our weekly portfolio reviews of the seven sample portfolios you can find at www.riskparityradio.com on the portfolios page. And keeping with the theme of that this year. Boring! I'm putting you to sleep! Before I put you to sleep with that, we do have some emails to attend to. And so without further ado... Here I go once again with the email. And... First off... First off, I have an email from Lee. What's the matter with you guys? You all know he's guilty. He's got to burn. You're letting him slip through our fingers. And Lee writes... Hi, Frank. I heard about your portfolios on the Chooseify podcast. Is there a portfolio comparison table? I'm looking for a portfolio to park proceeds from my principal residence sale. I'll be moving to another state to retire and will rent for up to a year to figure out where I want to buy a new home. The all season seems like the most conservative for this short term to avoid risk. However, if I don't like this state for the long term, I will stay and explore the region, continuing to rent for another five to seven years, then move to my second choice state where I I will buy a home. In this latter case, I want to keep up with the projected three to five percent real estate growth so I can purchase the same value of home in the future. I was thinking that if I don't buy a home in my first choice state after one year, I would move to a slightly more aggressive portfolio like the Golden Ratio via a glide path to improve returns. I plan to fund rental costs with a 3% safe withdrawal rate, but I need to keep up with the real estate appreciation at 3 to 5%, so looking for something north of 6% performance. Any suggestions would be most welcome. Thanks, Lee. Well, thank you for these questions. We haven't talked about this in a while, but yes, these 
kinds of portfolios are not only good things to use for retirement, but also as intermediate savings vehicles, which is what you're doing here and is what our children have done while they're saving for their down payments for houses. And just to have an extra fund to tap into that's not an emergency fund, but is available for some large purchase to be named later. Here's how things work. I order the food, you cook the food, then the customer gets the food. We do that for 40 years and then we die. Okay, just looking at your specific questions. Yeah, for the one year, I would just put it in a savings account or a money market account or a ultra short-term bond fund like VUSB, or you could go to Treasury Direct and buy Treasury bills directly. Because one year is really not long enough for any kind of real portfolio. That's just straight short-term money. Money! I would not use something like the All Seasons because of those intermediate and long-term bonds are really not appropriate for a one-year investment. Now, sliding out to the more interesting question, when you're looking for several years of accumulation and an indeterminate end date or use date, Yes, either the golden butterfly or golden ratio kind of portfolios would be good for something like that. The golden butterfly is going to be on the more conservative end because it does have that 20% allocation to short-term bonds, which is fine, and some people just like it like that. And that's the way, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. KC on the sunshine band. Or you could use the golden ratio, which has the advantage of really being a flexible model of a portfolio. The sample portfolio we have, that version of the golden ratio is just one version that you could have. And I would go back and listen to episodes 2 and 4 and 15 and 17 for some more details and discussions about both the golden butterfly and golden ratio and some basic comparisons with other things. But the idea behind the golden ratio is essentially you have 42% stocks, 26% in intermediate or long-term treasury bonds, and then you have this other 32% to work with. Usually you would make some of that gold, and so you could make the 16% gold, but then you also have another 16% to work with. That could be short-term treasury bonds, and the thing's going to look kind of like a golden butterfly portfolio. Or you could insert things like managed futures or a REIT fund or a utilities fund. And you'll get more or less conservative or aggressive variations on the theme, if you will. I would make sure that the stock portion, that 42%, is at least half in value-tilted funds or stocks. Because that is a basic principle of both of these portfolios. And that does really reduce the overall volatility of the stock portion of this. I do not have a portfolio comparison table. I don't think I'd like another job. And the main reason I don't, besides being lazy. It's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Is that I don't think I need to reinvent the wheel because you can do this very easily over at Portfolio Visualizer in the back tester, particularly if you use the asset class version of that. You'll get lots of data. And you can line up two or three variations of these portfolios and compare them over various time frames. 
and then take them over to the Monte Carlo simulator if you'd like to do that too. I also really like to use the portfolio comparison risk reward tool over at Portfolio Charts, and that puts your designated portfolio on this graph with about 20 other or 19 other commonly used portfolios, including total stock market portfolio, golden butterfly, three fund portfolios, Swedro portfolios, Merriman portfolios, and all sorts of other things. But that also gives you a good idea of the risk reward characteristics, and you can change what you're measuring there as well in terms of both the expected returns, since I see you had a expected return requirement, and the other parameters. So I think that that would be a really good place for you to do some of this analysis fairly quickly on an asset class kind of basis. And I'll link to that also in the show notes. And I'll also just tell you the advice I've given our adult children about how to construct kind of the overall framework for their savings and investments. Time is money, boy! First being to maximize their available retirement funds, including what they've got at work and an IRA, and to invest those things for the long term. So it's basically mostly S&P 500 type funds and things like that. Add some small cap value if it's available to you. I'm telling you, fellas, you're going to want that cowbell. Of course, a couple of them have been developing gambling problems with leveraged funds, but I've told them to keep that to a bare minimum. What do you think of a person who only does the bare minimum? Then for essentially their working money, they have an emergency fund. It's kept in savings or checking at a bank. Or you could put it in a money market if you want it there too. Yes! But then any extra money they have flows over into one of these golden ratio style portfolios, which is then available for saving for the next down payment for something or if they needed to make a big purchase like a car. Oh, I get it. Let me try. Although our kids are pretty cheap like me, so their cars don't cost much more than an emergency fund. Still riding to work on a machine, I see. Don't say anything, Squidward. Remember your karma. What? And I'm talking about more like a $10,000 emergency fund, not a $50,000 one. So if that sounds good to you, you could pursue something like that. And I think it would put you well on your way to getting your down payment saved for this house whenever you may be purchasing it. I would recommend you consider house hacking if you are single, because that will also make your real estate go faster. (laughs) And you'll learn how to use Schedule E of your tax form. Yeah, baby, yeah! But good luck with all of this. Hopefully it helps. Please do use those tools. And thank you for your email. Alles klar, Herr Kommissar. Second off. Second off, we have an email from Phil. Another email from Phil. Phil? Hey, Phil? Phil? I thought that was you. And Phil writes. Frank, I have two questions in this email. One, 
thoughts on the 100% equity portfolio, specifically the 50 US and 50 XUS developed as mentioned in Scott Cedarberg's new paper, Attached. Two, I am struggling to get my mind around FX and how this plays into correlations and how we might be able to take advantage of the fact that we live our lives in Europe via euros and investing in the US and dollars. I was really asking about equity distribution. I think it is a new paper using the same data set and for the most part does not look at the bonds. The reason I ask is we have retired in Portugal from Fairfax County, Virginia, Ruston to be specific, and I'm exploring the value of currency fluctuations as this is an impact on our withdrawals as they mostly need to be converted to euros. I have noticed that UUP is negatively correlated to SPY. The euro is 0.44 to SPY, see below. FXY is minus 0.1 to SPY and UUP is minus 0.49 to SPY. I look at these questions as related as some of the correlations between the U.S. equities and international equities is based on currency valuations. With these in mind, I guess there is a three-question observation. Can we use the value of the dollar, the underlying currency slash reserves currency, as an asset to diversify our portfolio to improve our returns and reduce the risk? The observation is something that I have always held as a given. We are investing dollars. With that out of my blind spot, I wonder how I can use that information to improve asset allocation in my portfolio. Thanks again for your productive use of your retirement and modeling hobby and life balance in retirement. The podcast makes me think of the open source movement in software development. Kind regards, Phil. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> ah, the infernal Scott Cedarberg paper. <laughs> again. Seems like we can't get away from this. Bing again. As I mentioned in the last episode, there's a great critique of this at early retirement now that I think everybody should check out. My own critique of this study still stands that if you look at the data they were using and the kind of portfolios they were constructing, I don't think anybody would really be using the kind of bond portfolio or bond portion of a, a portfolio that is being modeled there because it requires the holder to hold essentially speculative bonds in unstable currencies as opposed to only using stable bonds in reserve currencies. That's not an improvement. Hence, we have now christened it the Pickelhauba portfolio after those 19th century Prussian helmets with the spikes on them that they carried up into World War One. I think a 100% equity portfolio is fine for accumulation, but I don't see any reason why anybody would use that in decumulation when there are so many other better options. And you do not have to engage in the false dilemma that Cedarberg proposed, which was either use this 100% equity portfolio or this really crappy pickle haba portfolio with the speculative bonds in it and no alternative assets.
He also did not distinguish between Fama French factors or sectors or anything else that is currently available and that we should be modeling and that has been modeled by other people, including Fama and French. So anyway, I would use 100% equity portfolio in accumulation. I would not use 100% equity portfolio in decumulation because we have better options. That's the fact, Jack! That's the fact, Jack! And nothing in his paper disproves the fact that we have better options that he did not model. It really is an example of the logical fallacy of the false dilemma. What that's also used a lot in just the marketing of financial products generally. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. That's why people who sell annuities will start a stock market comparison from 1999, just before a big crash. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. So to me, it is one of the two most common fallacies I see in this area. The other one's called the possibility effect, where somebody takes a narrative about something that could happen and turns that into a high probability that it will happen without doing any analysis of whether it's likely to happen and considering what the base rate of that occurrence would be or should be. But now I'm going off on a tangent. Shut it up, you. Shut it up, me. All right, moving on to your next question about currency risks and what you might do about it and UUP. Yeah, I have looked at UUP before as an investment and have held it at various times over the past decade. I did not find it that interesting. It takes up too much space in a portfolio, just so everybody knows what it is. It's a fund that invests essentially in the U.S. dollar against a basket of foreign currencies. I think what you're actually looking for is something we've talked about from time to time and was introduced to us by our friend Alexi, so that's what you call me, you know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. And that fund is called EUO, and it goes short the euro against the dollar specifically, which seems to be more of what you are interested in. It does have more kind of bang for the buck than UUP, so you don't have to hold as much of it to have the same effect. That is the straight stuff, O oh Funkmaster. And as you can imagine, it is highly positively correlated with UUP, something like 0.96, and negatively correlated with the U.S. stock market and most other things. We do hold a little bit of that in one of our accounts. It's basically like being long volatility. But it's more of an experiment. I'm still not sure how much of it is ideal to hold in any particular situation. Hearts and kidneys are tinker toys. Anyway, I think we talked about this back in episode 222 from December of 2022. So you might want to go check that out on some of the other episodes where we've talked about dude portfolios. The dude abides. And finally, your last comment 
The podcast makes me think of the open source movement in software development. Well, I take that as a high compliment. It's top drawer. Really top drawer. Because you do know that our business model here is actually that business model. I got this inkling. I got this idea for a business model. I just want to run it past you. Here's how it would work. You get a bunch of people around the world who are doing highly skilled work, but they're willing to do it for free and volunteer their time, 20, sometimes 30 hours a week. Oh, but I'm, but I'm not done. And then what they create, they give it away rather than sell it. It's going to be huge. I mean, she, would have, she truly would have thought I was insane. And one thing that does kind of bother me about modern life in the 21st century is that there seems to be this impetus or almost societal demand that every hobby needs to be monetized, as if that will make it better or more fun. I think this applies doubly to personal finance, where it seems like anybody that wants to talk about it, the first thing they're thinking of, well, how can I make money off of this discussion? kind of begs the question is like well do you enjoy this as a hobby or not and i do have this romantic notion that comes from victorian times of the amateur enthusiast because at that time being an amateur was felt to be superior to being a professional at something because it meant you were unconflicted and were interested in in the topic for the topic itself and the development of the topic itself which often was related to science at the time. This is why Arthur Conan Doyle styled Sherlock Holmes as a, quote, amateur detective, unquote, because it represented a purity of thought and interest. Let's face it, you can't talk them out of anything. And if I have any goal here besides just having fun, it would be to recreate that kind of intellectual ideal. So if that's how it feels to you, then I think I've done my job. Or at least I'm getting somewhere with this. That was the equation. Existence. Survival must cancel our programming. Just one final comment. It seems like we were practically neighbors when you lived here in Virginia. I often ride my bike through Reston on the bike path there. But I guess I've scared you away to Portugal now, which is probably a much nicer place on a day-to-day basis than uh, northern Virginia, even if it's not as ridiculously convenient as living in this part of the world. But thank you for your comments, and thank you for your email. The big question on everybody's lips. Yeah, their chap lips. On their chap lips, chap right. Lips. Do you think Phil's going to come out and see a shadow? Punks a tawny Phil. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. It's Groundhog Day. Get up and sit that hog out there. Yeah. Ooh,
Last off. Last off, we have an email from Carl. Carl, there is a dead human in our house. Oh, hey, how did he get here? Carl, what did you do? Me? I, I, I didn't do this. Explain what happened, Carl. And Carl writes. Hi, Frank. As millions of people in the U.S. today, I'm an immigrant, a legal one working under a visa. Actually, I just got my green card. I'm investing heavily in the U.S. in my 401k and also via a brokerage account. I definitely intend to leave the U.S. when I retire, due mostly to the cost of health care. In your opinion, what should I consider when planning for that big change in the future? Should I pursue citizenship so I don't incur the exit tax later on when I leave? Should I not pursue citizenship and move my money to Europe before I move back or keep in the United States? What moves would you make if you were to leave the United States when you retired? Well, maybe not tax leaving because you'd have to relinquish your citizenship if you wanted to get rid of Uncle Sam's bite. Thoughts? Carl, that kills people. Oh, oh, wow. I, I, I didn't know that. Well, Carl, I have to say... I really do not know the answer to any of these questions. Man's got to know his limitations. And so anything I would be saying about this would be a best guess at best. My gut says that if you are not planning on remaining in the U.S. permanently and you have a legal means of being here to do what you want to do, it probably does not make sense for you to go through all of the work that you'd have to do to get citizenship here. My father did it back in 1953. He was a subject of Her Majesty the Queen at the time, having arrived here from the outpost colony known as British Honduras at the time and is known as Belize today. Now, if I were researching this, I'd probably go to the site run by a guy named Nomad Capitalist, who is one of these people who I think has renounced his U.S. citizenship and has passports from five other countries or something like that. Because I have to say, I do not know who exit taxes actually apply to. I know they apply to U.S. citizens who renounce their citizenship. I do not know how they apply to people who are just working here but are not U.S. citizens. I'd also be looking into how the 401k works for you or doesn't work for you, because I believe that account status is irrelevant in any other country. And I'm wondering if it's going to be a real hassle to you once you leave and the 401k is still sitting here, and then you don't have a U.S. address, and then whether you can roll that into an IRA and whether you're going to be able to do that or not or any of those kinds of Things, so I would be looking into that issue because in the back of my mind, I'm wondering whether it makes more sense for you just to invest in ordinary brokerage accounts. On the other hand, maybe it's just a gift in that you get a deduction on U.S. taxes now, but I'm just wondering how it works when the money comes out. I would imagine that the 401k provider is going to withhold something if you start withdrawing from that and you're in another country. And then you'd have to 
apply to get a refund from the U.S. government, which sounds like a big hassle to me. So I would be looking into all of that to make sure that you really do want to be putting money into a 401k while you're here. Now, as for me, no, I don't have any plans on leaving the U.S. now or later. If I did go anywhere, it would probably would be to Belize. My sister has citizenship there, and I'm entitled to get it if I want it, although that's another hassle. But I think you should probably live in retirement in close proximity to the people and you want to hang out with and the things you want to do. And for me, that means staying in the U.S. I heard an interview of the Nomad Capitalist I think it was sometime last year. And what struck me is there was kind of a sadness to it in that he said that it had really impacted a number of his relationships with people in the U.S. because he just didn't see them that often. And there were restrictions on him coming here now since he had renounced his U.S. citizenship. And they were not interested in traveling to wherever he was. I think sometimes people over-romanticize unconventional lifestyles or ideas. That's actually how lots of bad financial products are sold. A guy don't walk on the lot lest he wants to buy. As kind of these unconventional secrets of the Illuminati, zig where other people zag, and so on and so forth. It's a conspiracy, man! The oil companies got a grip on the government! They're feeding us a bunch of lies, man! Physical precious metals are sold that way. Trust mills sell trusts that way. People sell life insurance products that way as infinite banking on your mama or whatever. They're sitting out there waiting to give you their money. Are you going to take it? And I think a lot of this multi-passport run all over the world kind of lifestyle stuff is peddled that way as well. Because we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. As you all know, first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Anybody want to see second prize? A lot of that is also wrapped up in possibility effect stories. My email box is beginning to be filled up with all kinds of spam since it's an election year about all sorts of calamities that are allegedly going to befall us. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And what they can sell me to ameliorate that. Tell me, have you ever heard of single premium life? Because I think that really could be the ticket for you. Anyway, another person who might actually know the answers to some of these questions would be Joshua Sheets at Radical Personal Finance. And he has a call-in show where people ask kinds of questions like this fairly frequently, actually. So I would check that out, too, because he probably knows what the best references are for all of this sorts of stuff. Anyway, sorry I really couldn't answer your questions, but hopefully a couple of those references will help you because I do think you've got some research to do before you can decide what's the best course of action for you, particularly with that 401k. That's what jumped out to me first as something to look into because I just know that one country's 401k or version of that often means nothing in another country and just causes problems for the people that end up with one country's retirement plan thing under their tax code, but they're living somewhere else. That kills people! So hopefully that helps a little bit, and thank you for your email. What is wrong with you, Carl? Well, I, I kill people and I eat hands. That's, that's two things. And now for something completely different. 
And the something completely different is our weekly portfolio reviews of the seven sample portfolios you can find at www.riskparityradio.com on the portfolios page. It was another week where not much happened. I suppose I should be thankful for that after suffering through the past couple of years. We do at least have a rebalancing to talk about, though. <gasps> anyway, just looking at the markets themselves, the S&P 500 was down 0.42% for the week. The NASDAQ was really the big loser last week. It was down 1.34% for the week. Small cap value represented by the fund VIOV was actually up last week. It was up 1.89% for the week. I thought that was a little bit interesting that small caps have gotten off the mat. Gold was down. Gold was down 0.65% for the week. Long-term treasury bonds represented by the fund VGLT were also down. They were down 1.16% for the week. REITs represented by the fund REET were up 0.17% for the week. Commodities represented by the fund PDBC were down. They were down 0.98% for the week. Preferred shares represented by the fund PFF were down 0.59% for the week. And managed futures represented by the fund DBMF were up. They were up 0.22% for the week. Moving to these portfolios. First one's this reference portfolio, the All Seasons. This one is 30% in stocks and a total stock market fund. 55% in intermediate and long-term treasury bonds, and the remaining 15% in gold and commodities. It was down 0.69% for the week. It is down 1% year-to-date and up 0.51% since inception in July 2020. Moving to our next ones, kind of bread-and-butter portfolios. First one's this golden butterfly. This one's 40% in stocks divided into a small-cap value fund and a total market fund. 40% in bonds, treasury bonds, divided into long and short, and 20% in gold, GLDM. It was down all of 0.05% for the week, so we barely moved, about five bucks. It is down 1.13% year-to-date and up 19.13% since inception in July 2020. Next one is the golden ratio, which we talked about some today. This one's 42% in stocks in this version in three funds, 26% in long-term treasury bonds, 16% in gold, 10% in a REIT fund, and 6% in a money market. It was down 0.30% for the week. It's down 0.99% year-to-date, but up 15.88% since inception in July 2020. Next one's the Risk Parity Ultimate where we just put a little bit of everything for demonstrative purposes. I don't think anybody would really want to hold all of these things. But it does have a little Bitcoin in it, which is helping it these days. And it was actually up last week. It was up 0.07% for the week. It's up 0.12% year-to-date, and up 6.81% since inception in July 2020. And if you want to see all the funds, you can check them out on the website. And now we're moving to these experimental portfolios involving leveraged funds. Don't try this at home, even though I know you do. Well, you have a gambling problem. First one's the accelerated permanent portfolio. This one is 27.5% in a levered bond fund. TMF, 25% in UPRO, a levered stock fund. 25% in PFF, a preferred shares fund. And 22.5% in gold. GLDM. 
It was down 1.73% for the week. It's down 2.51% year-to-date and down 10.65% since inception in July 2020. Moving to our next one, the aggressive 50-50. This one is one-third in a levered stock fund UPRO, one-third in a levered bond fund TMF, and the remaining ballast or one-third is divided into a preferred shares fund and an intermediate treasury bond fund. It is the most levered and least diversified of these portfolios and was down 1.76% for the week. It's down 1.26% year-to-date and down 19.02% since inception in July 2020. We did rebalance this one last week because the levered stock fund UPRO was over 40% of the portfolio which triggered a rebalancing. We do this on bands on the 15th of every month we look at it. And the rules for that are posted right there on the website if you want to check that out. But anyway, the contents of that rebalancing involved selling $531 of that levered stock fund UPRO, and then we bought $24 worth of preferred shares, $379 worth of levered bonds, and $84 worth of intermediate treasury bonds. And that took care of our rebalancing, which we did on Friday, which we will duly record on the website on the portfolios page. Now, moving to this last one, the levered golden ratio. This one is 35% in a levered composite fund NTSX, that's stocks and treasury bonds, 25% in gold, GLDM, 15% in a REIT O, 10% each in a levered bond fund TMF and a levered small cap fund TNA, and finally 5% in a managed futures fund KMLM. It was down 0.45% for the week. It's down 2.72% year-to-date and down 15.81% since inception in July 2021. It's a year younger than the other ones. So all in all, we saw virtually nothing last week, which isn't always so bad. Yeah, well, sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. But that concludes our portfolio review. And now I see our signal is beginning to fade. If you have comments or questions for me, please send them to frank at riskparityradio.com. That email is frank at riskparityradio.com. Or you can go to the website, www.riskpartyradio.com, and put your message into the contact form, and I'll get it that way. If you haven't had a chance to do it, please go to your favorite podcast provider and like, subscribe, give me some stars, a review, a follow. That would be great. Okay. Thank you once again for tuning in. This is Frank Vasquez with Risk Party Radio. Signing off. Carl, that kills people. Oh, oh, Carl. wow, I, I, I didn't know that. How could you not know that? Yeah, I'm in the wrong here. I suck. What happened to his hands? What's that? His hands. Why Why are they missing? Well, I, uh, I kind of uh, cooked them up and ate them.
The Risk Parity Radio Show is hosted by Frank Vasquez. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult with your own advisors before taking any actions based on any information you have heard here, making sure to take into account your own personal circumstances.